0: You are listening to Girl Speak, a podcast series all about art, history, and contemporary culture with a girl's eye view. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 28 of Girl Speak, our news roundup for February 2015. I'm Tiffany Rhodes, program developer with Girl Museum. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, or streaming us today. Girl Speak is produced by Girl Museum, the first and only museum in the world dedicated to celebrating girlhood. We are a completely virtual museum that explores and documents the unique experience of being born and growing up female around the world in the past and present. We start today with a look at international news. From the United Nations, A new human rights report found that attacks on schools in at least 70 different countries over the last five years specifically targeted girls trying to access education. The report noted that these attacks target girls and women because their educational rights represent a challenge to existing gender and age-based systems of oppression. Among the many examples in the report is the December 2014 murders of over 100 children in a Pakistani Taliban attack in Peshawar the abduction of nearly 300 schoolgirls by Boko Haram in Nigeria, and the 2012 shooting of education activist Malala Yousafzai. The attacks also include poisoning and acid attacks, forced removal of girls from school to become wives, and abduction and rape. These attacks have ripple effects, impacting the girls and their communities, while also sending signals to other parents and guardians that schools are not safe places for girls. This signal causes many girls to be removed from education and subsequently many human rights violations such as early and forced marriage may occur. The United Nations calls for measures to address the context in which these human rights violations occur and to improve availability, accessibility, adaptability and acceptability of education for girls. Another report released was a World at Schools scorecard. In the report Only two of the 29 countries surveyed that had 500,000 or more out-of-school children are shown to be making good progress toward getting children into learning by the end of 2015. Eight countries are described as being way off track, with Nigeria and Pakistan carrying the heaviest burdens of 9 million and 5 million children respectively out of school. Worldwide, 58 million children are currently out of school, and the report details that in recent years progress on getting every child into school has stalled. These 29 countries contain nearly 50 million of the 58 million children currently not getting a basic primary education. Only 13 of the 29 countries, that's less than half, have strategies to achieve the Millennium Development Goal 2, and only four of the 29 have committed the minimum budget recommended to deliver education. The majority of these countries, 26, are in fragile or conflict-affected states. The UN Special Envoy for Global Education, Gordon Brown, stated, 15 years ago we made a promise that no child would be shut out of school. Yet on the eve of our deadline to deliver on this promise, we have not put these fundamental building blocks in place. This is a wake-up call to governments and donor agencies worldwide to put education on the agenda and deliver on our commitment to children. To read the full scorecard, visit www.aworldatschool.org also this month the international campaign he for she has stepped up its game un women presented a campaign update to the united nations on february 9th with its accomplishments so far in under 6 months he for she has had billions of media impressions millions of dollars donated over 200,000 men pledging their support and the launch of the Impact Ten by Ten by Ten program to bring on governments, universities, and corporations as partners. He for she asks men to stand up for women's rights and gender equality, to address in- inequality and discrimination faced by women worldwide. Their goal is to achieve gender equality by 2030. Our final piece of international news is the powerful letter from Sarah Khan. A Muslim woman who is urging young women not to be fooled by the lies told by the Islamic State. The letter was released on WeWillInspire.com. In it, Sarah states, Social media is awash with accounts of how life is wonderful under ISIS, that you will be promised a husband and the chance to fulfill your religious obligation. You may have even read stories of women describing how they are given free homes, maintenance, and a sisterhood made up of women from across the world, and that ISIS provides security. But most of all, you believe that the painful journey of leaving your parents and siblings is a pain worth sacrificing for the pleasure of God. I have no other intention of writing this letter but to tell you that you are being lied to in the wickedest of ways. Just because your liars are cloaked in religious clothing, speak in a religious language, and claim to be speaking in God's name does not change the simple fact that you are being lied to through a gross manipulation of the teachings of our faith. You are being lied to first and foremost about your religious duty as a Muslim, but also about the reality of life under ISIS. And the thought of you destroying your life for a pack of lies is what motivates me to write this letter, because you deserve to know the truth and to live a fulfilled and happy life. Sarah goes on to detail the ways in which ISIS is lying to young girls and attempts to have them join the movement. She details religious inaccuracies, and also details how Muslims have lived in harmony with other Muslim and non-Muslim groups for centuries. She also speaks some of the re- about some of the remarkable women of Islamic history, women whose accomplishments were encouraged by early Islamic societies rather than hidden and veiled, as ISIS prefers. She also warns young women that once they join ISIS, there is little, perhaps no, chance of returning home. She encourages young girls to contact her directly if they wish to talk more. You can view the entire letter at www.wewillinspire.com. Now we move to the Americas. In the United States, a draft report from the Centers for Disease Control details that the number of women and girls living with female genital mutilation in the United States has increased from 168,000 to 513,000 since 1997. The number of girls under 18 at risk for FGM has quadrupled. The report linked the rapid growth to the doubling of immigration to the United States between 2000 and 2013 from African countries where the practice is prevalent. Most of the girls currently at risk live in or around large cities with 97 percent having ties to African countries and 3 percent having ties to Asian countries. Female genital mutilation is a non-medical procedure that involves the removal of some or all of the external female genitalia, mostly of girls between infancy and age 15. It is linked to cultural ideas of femininity for purposes of limiting the sexual behavior of girls and women, but causes a host of psychological and medical difficulties for girls. Performing FGM on a minor has been illegal under federal law in the United States since 1996, and Congress recently created the Girls' Protection Act in 2014 to close a loophole that allowed girls to be taken back to their family's homeland for vacation cutting. The U.S. Ambassador for Global Women's Issues, Kathy Russell, told The Guardian that tackling FGM was a top priority, and was being tackled through social media campaigns and working with people in communities affected by FGM. Following the report's release, U.S. Representatives Joe Crowley of New York and Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas introduced the Zero Tolerance for FGM Act of 2015, which would charge the federal government with drafting and implementing a national strategy to protect girls in the United States from FGM. Finally, the United States just passed two important pieces of legislation affecting girls. The Justice for Victims of Trafficking Act addresses the root problem of child sex trafficking, buyers. It also provides much needed services to the victims of child trafficking. Also passed was the Stop Exploitation Through Trafficking Act, which seeks to protect child sex trafficking victims from prosecution for prostitution offenses. We are happy to hear the quick passage of these acts, and hope for speedy and effective implementation. Next, we move to the United Kingdom, where Angelina Jolie has opened the first academic center in Europe to fight war zone violence against women. The Centre is part of the London School of Economics and was opened after Jolie, a special envoy for the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, had returned from northern Iraq and met some of the refugees who have fled their homes due to Islamic State violence. The Centre will gather key thinkers, activists, policymakers, and academics in order to better tackle intransigent global problems such as the prosecution of war zone rapists and women's engagement in politics. The UK government has pledged £1 million to the Centre. Jolie and the London School of Economics have also released two short films, published exclusively on TheGuardian.com, to tell the stories of women who have suffered violence from the Islamic State. The first tells the story of Sabrine and her sister, Dilvian, who were held captive for four months by ISIS fighters. Sabrine was tortured via electrocution in front of her little sister for an hour each day. The second film shows a conversation between Jolie and a 58-year-old Yazidi woman, Amusha, whose daughter was kidnapped by ISIS and is believed to have been sold as a slave. The center will be hosted at the London School of Economics' new Institute for Global Affairs, which will offer a degree program in Women, Peace and Security starting in 2016. And in Ireland, discussions on a new national plan for women's rights have begun. The discussions focus on developing new strategy akin to the National Women's Strategy of 2007. The new strategy will be based on deliberations from A Woman's Place in the World Conference, held this past month in Dublin. Calls from the conference included making contraception free and available, especially to young women, and investing in midwives and obstetricians to provide safe maternity services. Now we move to Africa. In Malawi, a victory for girls. The Marriage, Divorce, and Family Relations Bill has set the minimum age of marriage to 18 years old a sign of progress in a country where half of all girls are married before the age of 18. The previous legal marrying age was 15. Child marriage is deeply entrenched in Malawi due to the prevalent belief that a girl should marry as early as possible to maximize her fertility. The new bill is a huge step forward for girls, and a sign of the progress being made across much of Africa. The bill also stipulates that girls can marry as young as 16 with parental consent, though civil society leaders are pushing for the removal of this loophole. The bill was also the result of girl activists in the country, led by the Stop Child Marriage Campaign sponsored by Let Girls Lead. The campaign trained over 200 girls to become advocates, who then lobbied village chiefs to ratify and enact bylaws to protect adolescent girls from early marriage and harmful sexual initiation practices. They upped their campaign efforts last year, when a new president came to power in support of a new marriage bill, and declared the legal sanctioning of child marriage a national disgrace. In Botswana, an all-female guide staff at Kobe Game Lodge is leading the way for women in tourism. The profession of safari guides is a largely male-dominated industry in Botswana, with only 10 female guides in all of the country as of 2005. In an effort to support more women in senior positions in the tourism industry, Kobe Game Lodge, one of the oldest tourist lodges in Botswana, has revamped their team to employ only women. The 14 women are some of the top female guides in the country, trained at the Botswana Wildlife Training Institute. In addition, the lodge has also launched the first eco-friendly safaris, with a fleet of emissions-free four-wheel drive electric vehicles and electric safari boats for game viewing. These women are an inspiration and in breaking down barriers in one of Botswana's most profitable economic drivers. Also in the wildlife business are the world's first all-female patrol protecting South Africa's rhinos in Greater Kruger National Park. The Black Mambas are an all-young women from local communities who patrol inside the park unarmed. They are the eyes and ears on the ground for the reserve scientists, managers, and game guards who are working to protect the rhinos, lions, giraffes, and many other species targeted by poachers. The black mambas patrol the fence, set up listening posts to hear vehicles, voices, and gunshots, and patrol the reserve on foot, calling in armed guards whenever they find something. Noting that a major source of poaching is the communities outside the park, which see poaching as a way to gain needed money, the reserve hired 26 local jobless female high school graduates and put them through intensive tracking and combat training programs. They were then deployed throughout the park, unarmed but visibly present. In the last 10 months, the reserve has not lost a single rhino, while a neighboring reserve lost 23. Snare poaching in the park has dropped by 90%. The Black Mamas also stated that they are inspiring many young women to join them, and are looked upon as heroes within the surrounding communities. And in Nigeria, the presidential elections have been postponed supposedly to give authorities more time to fight Boko Haram. The election was originally planned for February 14th, but has been postponed until March 28th in order to give the military time to make polls safer for voters. Many Nigerians are voicing doubts that this is the real reason for the delay, with some speculating that the incumbent president, Goodluck Jonathan, wants more time to campaign. While Nigerians wait for elections, Boko Haram continues their attacks in the region, especially focusing on the kidnapping and murder of girls and women. Tension also continues to mount across the country, generating fear that the violence which followed elections in 2011 will repeat itself. In 2011, more than 800 people were killed following elections due to long-standing ethnic and religious tensions. To date, about 1.5 million people have been displaced by the violence, many of whom will not be able to vote in the upcoming election. Despite social media and international outcry, most of the 273 schoolgirls kidnapped by Boko Haram last year from their classrooms are still being held in captivity. Now we move to the Middle East and Asia. In early February, the Islamic State, also known as ISIS, published a manifesto for women living under their rule. The manifesto includes provisions such as all women being married by the age of nine, only allowing education until the age of 15 and that the purpose of a woman's existence is the divine duty of motherhood. It only allows for the provision of education because women cannot fulfill their maternal duty if they are illiterate or ignorant. The curriculum proposed for education focuses strongly on religious education with sidelines in basic science, textiles and knitting and basic cooking. It also allows women to continue on to university in order to become doctors and teachers. The manifesto also clarifies that women can fight jihad if a special fatwa is issued. It also states that a woman may be employed, but her job should not exceed three days a week. Western attitudes towards women's rights are condemned on virtually every page. Yet some provisions are also extraordinary, such as the advised minimum of two years of maternity leave, extended holidays and sick time to care for children, and extensive child care provisions for women who must work. In Turkey, the country has rallied over the murder of a 20-year-old woman who resisted an attempt by a bus driver to rape her. The woman's burnt body was found on a riverbed in mid-February, and three men have been arrested in connection with her death. She was a psychology student kidnapped on her way home by a bus driver. The driver then attempted to rape her and, when she fought him off, beat her to death with an iron pipe and then burned her body. The brutality of the murder has caused outcry across Turkey with thousands of women staging protests in several cities. Some protesters have claimed that the murder is partially the result of the radical Islamic atmosphere created by the government, which wants women to be conservative. The current ruling party, the Justice and Development Party, has been in place since 2002, and Turkey has seen a marked rise in violence against women since then. Protests also extended to a movement by Turkish men, who were standing in solidarity with a simple, unconventional approach. They are wearing mini skirts and short skirts on the streets and in photos on social media to highlight the brutal murder. The campaigns and protests have been seen globally, and the Turkish president has responded by calling violence against women a bleeding wound in Turkey. Now we move to India. In early February, the country affirmed its commitment to the rights of the girl child by vowing to create a world fit for children. India has launched a new campaign to ensure the protection and education of girls in the country as well as increasing girls' participation in secondary education. One of the many facets of the commitment is a small savings program for girls, which gives a higher interest rate and tax rebates on accounts opened for them. The deposits mature when a girl reaches the age of 18, but withdrawals can be made earlier for educational purposes. Also in India, the BBC has reported on a new all-women squad of police in Delhi that are being specially trained in martial arts. The group of 40 women dubbed Charlie's Angels by their trainers, will be deployed at bus and metro stations, outside colleges, and in other areas where women are thought to be vulnerable to sexual violence. The girls are a response to Delhi's recent dubbing as the rape capital of India after a series of brutal rape cases in the past few years. Women's rights activists have welcomed the move, but fear that the 40 women may not be enough to police a city of more than 16 million people. And in New Delhi, India, the Child Rights and You organization, a leader in child rights in the country, has launched the Let Her Fly campaign. Let Her Fly aims to give girls in India the opportunity to realize their full potential by inspiring and encouraging parents, teachers, relatives, and colleagues to give girls the opportunities they deserve. The campaign will include education to help create attitude shifts in India by breaking myths and stereotypes about gender, ensuring government accountability, instituting gender-sensitive processes in various systems such as law and programs, encouraging community responsibility and preventing violations against girls, and building women leaders through sensitization programs to help them understand and ensure their rights. And in Indonesia, we are happy to report that the proposed virginity test for high school girls to graduate have been withdrawn by officials. The proposal to institute virginity testing surfaced earlier this year as part of good conduct legislation considered by the City Council of Jember in East Java, and was suggested as a means of scaring girls away from sex. Human rights advocates denounced the proposal as discriminatory gender-based violence. The council then apologized for the proposal, and the Religious Council, Indonesia's top Islamic clerical body, declared that the virginity tests were not compatible with Islam. Finally, we move to our Incredible Girls segment. Our first Incredible Girl is Anya Pogarian, who has invented a dialysis machine that only costs $500. 17-year-old Anya developed the machine as part of her high school science project and was inspired through her volunteer work with a local hospital dialysis unit. She spent 300 hours on her invention, above and beyond the required 10 hours. Dialysis is the process of cleaning waste from the blood. It's typically typically used for people who have kidney disease, and treatments take about four hours a couple of times a week. Anya wanted to find a way to improve the procedure, which takes a lot of energy and time from patients. Her project has earned her scholarships, awards, and a summer internship to further develop her machine. If successful, the invention would also transform dialysis treatments bringing it into patients' homes and into rural areas of the world where patients can't afford costly dialysis treatments or the travel to hospitals to receive it. Our next incredible girl is 11-year-old Rowan Hansen, who penned a letter to DC Comics earlier this month. Her letter, posted on social media by her father, reads, Dear DC Comics, My name is Rowan and I am 11 years old. I love superheroes and have been reading comics and watching superhero cartoons and movies since I was very young. I'm a girl, and I'm upset because there aren't very many girl superheroes or movies and comics from DC. For my birthday, I got some of your Justice League chibis. I noticed in the little pamphlet that there are only two girl chibis and ten boys. Also, the background for the girl figures was all pink and purple. I remember watching Justice League cartoons when I was really young with my dad. There are Superman and Batman movies, but not a Wonder Woman one. You have a Flash TV show, but not a Wonder Woman one. Marvel Comics made a movie about a talking tree and raccoon awesome, but you haven't made a movie with Wonder Woman. I would really like a hog girl or Catwoman or the girls of the young Justice TV show action figures, please. I love your comics but I would love them a whole lot more if there were more girls. I asked a lot of the people I know whether they watched movies or read books or comics where girls were the main characters. They all said yes. Please do something about this. Girls read comics too, and they care. Sincerely, Rowan. Rowan's letter quickly went viral and prompted DC Comics to respond via Twitter, stating that they are working hard to create more superhero fun for girls. DC Comics also gave Rowan a picture of herself as a DC hero. Our final Incredible Girl is Esther Okade from Walsall in the United Kingdom. Esther is a 10-year-old math whiz who has just enrolled to study a maths degree with Open University. She enrolled just under a month ago and is already top of the class, scoring a perfect 100 on a recent test. She dreams of running her own bank one day and says she wants to be a millionaire. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. We invite you to tune into to our next podcast on March 7th, where we will be exploring our latest exhibit, STEM Girls, with our own STEM girl, Hillary Hanel. And be sure to check out our Facebook page and Twitter feeds for the latest updates on our new exhibit, which launches on March 8th. Thank you, and have a wonderful day. If you like hearing a fresh, girl positive perspective on the internet, please support us with a tax deductible donation easily made on our website. Our music is courtesy of up and coming artist Han Av. You can find her SoundCloud link on our website.